That's where we're going to be. Psalm 47. Let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll dig into it. Psalm 47, on page 745. So if anybody else has the same page as me, I doubt it. All right, it says, um, To the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High, He is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. I should have probably read that before we even started singing today. Because we have the command there to sing, to sing to the Lord, to sing praises. And he tells us why. So let's go ahead and look at first. It says, to the chief musician of the sons of Korah. I don't feel like I need to go over and define the sons of Korah every single week. Um, So if you don't know who they are, look them up or you can come ask me after after service. And it's uh, pretty interesting. But in the, the Greek Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. And um, they were written or um, translated before, just before the time of Christ. And by, I believe it's 70 um, Jewish rabbis translated it. And in that translation, it says, it starts off, For the end, a psalm of the sons of Korah, or for completion. And you just have to wonder, because this was recognized as a messianic psalm by the Jews. They believed that the Messiah was the only one who could fulfill this psalm, and he is. And it's it's just interesting because it is for the end. It is about the end. It is about the reign of Christ. That's what this psalm is about, the reign of Jesus Christ on the earth for that thousand-year reign, the millennial reign of Jesus. So, um... He starts off, he says, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Isn't that awesome? Isn't there a song that goes like that? Praise him, praise him. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. Praise him. Okay, that's as far as, I'm not like my father-in-law. I know he sung to you guys last week. He just breaks out every once in a while, which is just a sweet time in the Lord, isn't it? It's just cool. But I do not have that gifting. At least not without being silly. And so, um, but clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Whose triumphed Jesus Christ has. Um, but it's interesting because I, as I went, so just two weeks ago, we went over Psalm 46. And we, we pointed out that Psalm 46, 47, and 48 are actually a trilogy of Psalms. They all have a common theme. In, in, in Psalm 46, Jesus is the coming conqueror. He's the one who conquered the nations. Remember, um, so look at verse 7 
through the end there of, of uh, Psalm 46, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And we know that from, from Isaiah 63, that Jesus comes as a conqueror, right? He rides forth, his, his garments are splattered with blood. And he says, who has helped me? And he says, my own arm ha- has done this. His own arm is the one who takes the victory and conquers. Um, in Psalm 47 here, though, we have the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So again, he says, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Why? Just imagine that day. Just imagine that day when Jesus begins his 1,000-year reign on the earth. Just imagine that day when all evil is done with for a time. When there's no more injustice, when justice reigns supreme on the earth, right? Because Jesus is ruling. I want you guys to go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 and 19 and 20, we see those two Psalms. So Revelation 19, we see the conquering king. Revelation 20, we see the millennial reign of Jesus. So Revelation 19. And as my pastor always liked to point out, it's not revelations, it's revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was his pet peeve. I remember we were in a restaurant one day and uh, somebody told him, oh, we just got done going through the book of Revelations. And you could see him like start to twitch a little bit. And he goes, actually, it's revelation. It's about Jesus. It's not revelations. <laughs> it's not plural. So it always stuck with me. I felt kind of like the kid, like, oh, Dad, please stop. You know? <laughs> so um, let's start in Re- Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written with, with that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw a beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, 
by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So that's speaking, I mean, you can tell this is a horrendous battle. Jesus just comes and he wipes out the armies of the Antichrist, wipes out all of his enemies that are on the earth, and then he's going to reign for a thousand years. So go to verse, chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there we have it. Psalm 46 and 47. That's what these two psalms are proclaiming. The first one, the conquering king. The second one, the ruling king over all the earth for that thousand year period. We also have this thousand years described in Isaiah chapter 11, so I want you to go there. So Isaiah, you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then you have Isaiah, and we're going to go to chapter 11. That one's on page 912. And first it's going to describe this, this king, this judge over all the earth, and then it's going to describe this millennial kingdom. So we're going to read to verse 10. So it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow up, grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So David, King David's father was Jesse. And so that branch, that rod from the stem of, stem of Jesse would be David, and then you have the branch which shall grow out of his roots, which is Jesus. The Hebrew word for branch there is netzer. So when it says in the New Testament, it says he shall be called a Nazarene, it's literally netzerine, a netzer, the branch. This is the one that they were waiting for. So a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Why is he able to judge with such perfection? Because he has all knowledge. He has all knowledge of every single person on the face of the earth of all the poor, of all the meek. He knows if they're really poor, if they're really meek. 
And he knows who the wicked are and who will be destroyed by the breath of his mouth. Verse 5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. Now, so we hear there have there the description of the king, how righteous he will be, how good he will be. And now we have what this millennial kingdom will be like. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine Samuel walking around with a bear on a leash? Like, come on, Toto. You know, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Have a bear, like a lion or something like that. Too cool. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. You're telling me that the lion's not going to eat meat anymore? Wow. Did you know there's a lion somewhere that will only eat spaghetti? Learned that from Ken Ham at a conference that he did. Only spaghetti. Won't eat anything else. It's a 100% Italian lion. (laughs) So he'll eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, how awesome. That's why it's going to be so awesome. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How cool. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. So he's going to bring all his people back to Jerusalem. All the Jews will be regathered to Israel in that day. And not only that, but the Gentiles will come. All those who want to seek the Lord will be able to come every mountain will be leveled and every low place will be raised up to make a highway to our God. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. So there we have the millennial reign of Christ described. And there's other places you can go like Psalm 72, which is written by Solomon. And you can see it written about himself, but also that future fulfillment of what Jesus will do on the earth. And so that's why we should clap our hands. That's why we should shout to God with a voice of triumph. Amen? How many of you guys watch football games and go, you look like a maniac? You do? (laughs) Talitha's like, yeah, get him! (laughs) Hit him! (laughs) Is that all you got? (laughs) You know? How much more should we clap and shout for our God? You know, but we do that in here, and we all look like, oh, they must be crazy Pentecostals. So let's just do it. Let's, let's clap for our Lord right now. He is awesome and worthy to be praised above all that there is. Amen. That wasn't so bad, was it? Not when we're all doing it. If there's just one of us doing it, then we have a problem. So now he's going to declare why. 
So we're to clap to him, lift our voice with the voice of triumph. And then it says, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. So literally Yahweh Most High, Yahweh Elion is what it is in Hebrew. Elion means, um, it means Most High, but even more than that, that he is the ruler and the judge over all the earth, that he vindicates the innocent and he judges the wicked, as we saw in Isaiah chapter 11. That he will judge the poor and the meek, right? Who will inherit the earth, but the wicked he will slay with the breath of his mouth. That is what it is to be most high. You know, some men have given themselves this title. I believe Nebuchadnezzar was one of them. Have given themselves the title of most high king. But just imagine that day when Jesus Christ reigns and everybody knows that there is no higher king, no greater king on the face of all the earth or in all creation. No angel, no other supposed God is as great as him. And this won't just be an invisible reign. You know, many liberals throughout the, throughout the past have said, well, it's just going to be a metaphorical reign. You know, Jesus is reigning in our hearts, which he is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. If you have been bought by his blood and you have the Holy Spirit living within you and you've been born again, then he does reign over your heart. You have a theocracy. You are under a theocracy. You are under the law of God, under his grace and his goodness and his love and his might. So this will not, but this will not be an invisible rain. This will be a visible rain. It says in Revelation 1-7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of, because of him. Even so, amen. Every eye will see him. There will not be a person on the face of the earth when he comes that will not see him with their physical eye. They will see him coming. Why will they mourn? Because they have sinned against him. They have rebelled against him. They have hated his rule. They have not looked forward to it. And now they are going to have to pay the price. And look at verse 3. Back in the psalm. Psalm 47. I think I keep saying Psalm 48. I keep thinking Psalm 48 anyways. So just ignore that one. Psalm 47. It says, He will subdue the people under us. The people's under us and the nations under our feet he will choose our inheritance for it the excellence of Jacob whom he loves and we have Selah stop and just riff out on the harp right that's probably what that means kind of a pause but he will subdue the peoples under us subdue is literally I love this because it goes with almost every verse I've read subdue is literally speak 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 the people under us. Because how is God going to smite the earth? With the breath of his mouth, with his word. What does it say in um, Isaiah 11:4, which we just read? It says, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He's not going to come to him with a handheld sword. He's going to do it with his word, the most powerful thing that there is what he created the world, the universe, with his word. Revelation 19.21, which we also read. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and the birds of the air were filled with his flesh. And then back in 1915, um, 
It says, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. Out of his mouth. So, so here in Psalm 47, he will speak the people under us. He will speak. The word will go forth and they will be subdued. So subdued is a good translation, but it misses a little bit. He will subdue with his word. And, and then it says, and the nations under our feet. Oh, this is speaking about all those who will dwell in Jerusalem during that thousand-year reign of Christ. He will subdue them under their feet, under the nation Israel. And what's also cool about that is we are grafted in to Israel. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be part of that kingdom on the earth. And we will get to reign with him. I mean, that just blows my mind. We are literally going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. We're going to reign with him. It says in Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. We know that throughout Revelation, um, even in 1 Peter, we are going to be priests and kings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to reign with him for that thousand year period. Then uh, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13 says, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself, but we will reign with him. We will reign with him. And this reigning is also described in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Another quote from my pastor, he said, This life is just like a slap in the face. You know, it stings for a moment, but it's not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Not even close. Then it says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, I remember thinking of this verse when I watched, was it March of the Penguins? You know, you have all those penguins up in the North Pole or Antarctica, wherever they're at, the emperor penguins. And that, it just looks miserable to be a penguin. You know, they got it. The moms go and they, they, tried, they go to the ocean and try to get food and then they have to walk back like 100 miles you know, they're walking like this, too. It's not like they're taking big steps. Sometimes they get a slide on their belly and get a few minutes of relaxation, but for the most part, they're just waddling all the way back. And the dads, which sounds even more miserable, have to take care of the babies in the egg and hold them on their feet. And if they touch the snow or the ice, the, the egg is dead. You know, and you have all this cold wind, and they're all huddled up in their own excrement. I mean, just talk about the creation groaning, all right? The creation groans. But why, what is it groaning for? It's eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. And I like the old Phillips translation. He says, all creation is standing on tippy-toe. On tippy-toe, waiting to see the sons of God. That's us. When we reign with Christ for that thousand years, and then it says, for the creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We get a reign with Christ. And I don't know all what that looks like. I, I mean, this is just like a little glimpse, right? It's like somebody just turned on the light real quick and then turned it off. Just turn it on. Flash, flash. And you just got that little glimpse. But there's so much more. So much more that we are waiting for. Do you have that hope? Does that hope encourage you? Does it encourage your faith? Does that encourage you to strive towards Jesus Christ and to walk with him and to bring glory to him? And I also love this, Romans 16, 20, that's um, Jesus Christ will crush Satan under our feet. Right? Because what does it just say in, uh, in um, Psalm 47? He says, he will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. But we as the church, he will crush Satan under our feet shortly. Shortly. And then look at verse 4. It says, He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. When Jesus reigns, it's going to be from Mount Zion. That's the inheritance that he will choose. And the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Jacob, the heel catcher, whom he loves. The rotten fellow, whom he loves. The scoundrel, whom he loves. Isn't that us? I'm a scoundrel. I've been a scoundrel. I've wanted everything for myself. Manipulated, lied, done all kinds of stuff. And what did he do? He saved me. He died for me. Just see, like he died for every single one of us. There's a, something also awesome that I see in this. Notice it says in verse 3, He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. And then verse 4, He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. I just want to focus on the word subdue, which was literally speak, speak to subdue, and then choose. Now just kind of thinking about that, God will not subdue unless he also chooses. Right? He will not subdue unless he also chooses. And I, I just ask the question of myself, who is the Lord of my life? Is it me or is it him? Who's deciding my life plan for me? Is it me or is it him? Is he the one choosing? Because if he chooses, he will subdue. I also see kind of the opposite way. He won't choose until he subdues me either. My will has to be broken. I'm just like a horse. Right? A horse, you can't ride a wild horse without getting bucked off. Maybe you can last seven seconds. But you can't do anything with that horse. You can't plow your fields. You can't pull a carriage. You can't do anything with it other than ride on it for just seven seconds. Our wills must be broken. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so he subdues us, and then he chooses, 
But as we let him choose the course of our life, then he also subdues. Isn't that fantastic? We say yes, but it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to let him choose. Why? Because we're like people walking around in the dark. You know, but we have our flashlights. It's the word of God. We, we let the word of God be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. But it's extremely hard to let him choose. To say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. But all the time, you don't know where you're going. I think this really spoke to me in my family situation. Lord, I don't know where we're going. What do you want us to do? I thought about you guys in this verse too. You believe that the Lord has called you to high point, but there's, you know, you got, just got this degree from School of Mines and there's nowhere for you to work out there with that degree, right? I mean, just, it's, it's, you're going in somewhat blind, but you're trusting the Lord. You're trusting his word, that he is the one who has called you. You're taking it by faith. And that's what it is to walk in the dark. Think of Abraham. What did God tell Abraham? He said in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, he says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, not to mention that where they were, there were mansions there. And guess what they had? They had bathtubs. I've done excavations there. Where he was originally in Ur of the Chaldeans was the holy, it was like the Beverly Hills of the ancient world. Mansions. Extreme wealth. So can you imagine telling your wife, hey honey, we're going to go trek around in the desert for a while. Like, what about my bathtub? Talk about, and, and God doesn't tell him where, he just says, go to the land that I will show you, meaning he didn't write out a map for him. So it's been said that Abraham traveled sand dune by sand dune. I go, there's another sand dune. Okay, turn left. Okay, I'm going to the next sand dune. Go straight. You know, just crazy faith. Crazy trusting God. To go out in the dark, not knowing where you're going, but trusting in God's word. That is what it is to walk in faith. And it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight in 2 Corinthians. We walk by faith and not by sight. I kind of judge my Christian life by that. Am I walking by faith? Am I walking by faith? Am I walking by faith? Or am I just judging everything by the sight of my eyes? By what makes sense to me here? Because what should make more sense is that God is faithful and he is sovereign and he is mighty. Right? He is able to accomplish what he promises. I pray constantly, though, that I'm not just being a fool. Because you do meet a person every once in a while who thinks they're walking in faith, but really they're walking in total ignorance of who God is and what his word says. And I do not want to be that person. But who is making your life plan? 
Who is making your decisions for you? Are you walking in faith? And, and the cool thing is, if God chooses, if he's the one who decides, he will subdue. He will subdue the enemy. And it's funny how he does that, because sometimes it's by our death that he does that. He shows their destruction by our lack of terror, lack of fear. He shows the enemy's destruction by our hope in Jesus Christ. You know, so when you see someone dying for the Lord, the enemy is being subdued. And so God's ways are not our ways, nor his thought our thoughts, declares the Lord. For his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But I would think of this too, don't go around manipulating everything around you. That's a sure way to know you're not walking in faith. If you're manipulating to get your way, if you're cheating the system, you're not letting God choose. If God is choosing, you will walk in integrity. You will walk in blamelessness. You will walk in love and humility. And again, it's not always going to be comfortable. Sometimes integrity comes with a great price. But imagine that day when we stand before him and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Everything that you suffered will, be, will have been worth it for that. Just for that one word from our Lord to say, well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And what did we just sing? You know, that's the word that Andy gave us a couple weeks ago. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. Let's go on to verse 5. It says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So here Jesus takes his rightful place as king over all the earth. He has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. You know, just imagine that day again when he comes to reign. I mean, I'm, we can imagine it, right? But we can imagine it. <laughs> it's going to be glorious. It's going to be perfect. And um, throughout the history of the church, this psalm has also been read on Ascension Day when we believe that Jesus rose from the dead on that third day and then he ascended uh, 40 days later, Right? And um, in that narrative, when you read the Gospels, you don't hear of the shout, you don't hear of the voice or the trumpet or anything like that. Jesus just goes up, he's received by the cloud, and the disciples are standing there looking at him, or looking at the cloud, looking at the sky, then the angels have to come down and say, hey, hey, you, let's get busy. You got work to do, come on. He's going to come in the same manner he left. But I can't imagine that there wouldn't have been shouts in heaven, the angels wouldn't have received him. I mean, it says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Tell me that there were shouts of joy when he took all those out of Hades who were in the righteous compartment of Hades, who had been waiting for his resurrection, waiting for them to take him to the abode of heaven itself, to the abode of God itself. Imagine There must have been shouts. There must have been praise. There must have been clapping. There must have been great joy. 
So cool. And then verse 6, it says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. And the church has been singing for 2,000 years. And we will sing for all of eternity as well. So I think that's a response, but also a command for what's coming next. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. It's about time, right? Can you imagine that in that day? It's about time. It's about time that righteousness reigns and Jesus is subduing everything, that he will rule everything with his iron scepter, with his love, with his compassion of a shepherd, with his tenderness, with his mercy, but also with the fierceness that he is, the fierceness of his justice. I can only imagine there will be no applause like it in the history of the world. Even though those who were on the earth at that time were very few, because so many will have been destroyed. What does it say? I think it's in Matthew, maybe. It says, if those days were not cut cut short, the time of the tribulation period, nobody would survive. God has to cut it short just so people would survive. It will be the joy of the whole earth. For God is the king of all the earth. And then it says in verse 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Just think about that for a moment. God sits on his holy throne. Right now we have so many wicked men sitting on thrones. Such little itty bitty men sitting on thrones with Stupid ideas and such pomp and arrogance. But when he sits on his throne, it will be glorious. Verse 9, the princes of the people have gathered together. The princes are the people of the God of Abraham. So that would be the Jews. And we know at that time he's going to bring all the Jews, that remnant, into his kingdom. And then it says, for the shields of the earth belong to God. Shields would be the rulers. Some translations translate it as rulers of the earth belong to God. It's literally shields, but you could think it'd be, maybe it's a coat of arms. But a king would also be called the defense of his people, the shield of his people. We see that in in one of the minor prophets. I looked it up, but I forgot to write it down. That this person was the shield of his people. It's the king. So all the kings will belong to him. And then it says, and he is greatly exalted. So just think for a moment. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Let that soak in. You know, I think when we first become believers, we're so excited about that. But then as we go on and we go on and we go on, we we get less expectant. I remember when I first became a believer, and, you know, of course, I had watched Left Behind, and that just messed me up. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a thunderstorm. He's coming right now, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but over time, that expectation kind of grows dull, right? We think about it. We hope for it. We hope for it. We hope for it. Then we just hope for it a little bit. And then we don't even think about it anymore. But Jesus is coming. He's going to return. He's going to come back. 
at an hour we do not expect. Are you ready? Are you living for that day? That is the goal, that is the prize of the upward calling Christ Jesus, that he will come back and he will receive us to himself. Are you listening for the shout, for the voice of the archangel, for the trumpet of God, when the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds with him forever? Are you looking for that day? Are you waiting for that day? Are you expecting for that day? Are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared? Number one, receive Jesus Christ. Receive the gospel. Believe it. Believe it. He is coming back. And retribution comes with him to all the wicked, all those who are outside of him. All those who are outside of him. He is the only way. He is exclusive. People hate that. People abhor the fact that it's exclusive. You, the only thing to, that you can do to be saved is believe on Jesus Christ. You can't go any other way. Jesus said the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many there go in by it. But the way is narrow, pressing, small that leads to life. And there are few who enter in by that way. There is only one way. We have one problem, and it's sin, and we have one solution, and it's Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No matter how good you think you are, how good you think somebody else is, a lot of people don't like that because they think they're nicer than God. They think they're kinder than he is. But think about it. He gave his son for you. He died for you. He was humiliated for you. He bled and was beaten for you. The glory of heaven itself became a man for you. And the message gets to go out through all the earth. God is making sure of that. And there will be no excuses. You either humble yourself under the gospel or you exalt yourself above the gospel. And that goes for every person that you know. So do not believe that you're kinder than God or that your ways are higher than his ways because they're not. But just imagine if that day were to come tomorrow. How would you live today? That just, that just occurred to me. That's such a preacher thing to say, but it's true. If, if he was going to come tomorrow, how would you live today? Are you ready? Are you prepared? What would, what would it be like if you knew, if you got a little inside tip that Jesus was going to come tomorrow, how would you live today? How would you be pleading with your children? How would you be pleading with your loved ones, with your friends, with your coworkers? Would you be repenting of sin? Would you be saying, I don't need this because the Lord is coming tomorrow. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to put away the pornography and I'm going to put away the alcohol and I'm going to put away my foul mouth and I'm going to put away my bitterness against my wife and against my husband. And I'm going to love them like there is no tomorrow. Like we're going to meet the king. 
Wouldn't all the stupid things we worry about just kind of slip into the background? Wouldn't they be just like nothing? We'd be so excited and we'd be so fearful at the same time because we'd want to be ready. Remember what 1 Thessalonians is all about. When he comes with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. You know, it's that picture of the bridegroom coming for his bride. And the herald goes forth first and says, "Um, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And that bride would be getting ready. She would have her dress all out. She She would have had it ready from the day of her betrothal. From the day that he proposed, she would have had it ready about, for about a year. For a long time, not knowing what day he would come. But then all of a sudden, she hears the call. And she gets her dress, makes sure it's, it's right, and she puts it on. And she's expecting, she's looking for her, for her husband to come and to take her to the place that he's prepared for her. That is what we are looking forward to. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you been getting your garments ready? And how do we do that? By our own works and our own righteousness? No, it's through Jesus Christ and him alone. But it's also by walking in faith. To be able to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We want to follow him. And we want to get others ready. Because guess what? Once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are now that herald that says the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Get ready. Get ready. And some will disbelieve, and they will be like the foolish virgins who had no oil in their lamps. But some will be ready, and they will heed your call. They will heed the gospel call. So again, are we ready? Or do you find yourself like the mocker? Like the mocker in... 2 Peter chapter 3, listen to this. It says 3 to 15, it says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Isn't that what we hear now? Isn't that what I just described at the beginning? We get dull. We say, oh, all things continue like they did from the beginning of creation. And we mock our God. And then it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. They knew it was coming. You had the line of um, Seth in Genesis chapter 5, and I believe they are proclaiming to the rest of their brothers and sisters, that destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. God's going to flood the earth. But this they willfully forget. Our world willfully forgets that by the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, then the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So right then he tells us, you're going to be waiting for a long time. You're going to be awaiting for a day that you don't know what hour he's going to come. But it's the same word that came to them before the flood, and the flood came. It's the same word that comes to us now, that everything will be dissolved by fire. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, here's the big question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What manner of persons should you be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, because if he wasn't long-suffering, we'd all be dead already. So understand this. You can either... Reign with Christ, or he will reign over you. It says in Revelations, Revelations, Revelation 21, 6 through 8, And he, Jesus, said to me, to John, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the, of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Notice it's Freely. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And I want to say this, just in case there is somebody not here that does not, is not born again, who has not believed the gospel. Maybe you've been trying to fool yourself. Maybe you've been trying to fool people around you. Or maybe this is somebody who's listening on the podcast, which we're at number 128 in Sweden, by the way. I don't know what that means, but... But if you're a sinner, if you have not been cleansed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have absolutely no hope for the future whatsoever. Your hope may be right now for another meal or a little bit of pleasure, but there will come a day when all your hope will be gone. Your existence will be pure misery because Jesus Christ will reign over you and you shall have your part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone forever and ever. The Bible calls you a child of wrath. And I plead with you, whoever you are, wherever you are, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ, to believe his gospel, to stop exalting yourself above him, to humbly receive him, to say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner and I need you to save me. There is no prayer that will save you. Only God's grace. Just ask him for help. Ask him for his salvation. 
Put your hope and your faith in him. There is no formula. There is nothing but him that can save you. Plead with him. Cry out to him. And so the choice has been given. Believe and be saved. Or reject the gospel and condemn yourself. Damn yourself. The choice is given. And God loves you. And he cares for you. And he sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you. So just put your faith in him. Stop being hard-hearted. Stop saying you're okay. Stop thinking you're fine without him. You're not. A day of reckoning will come. Let's pray. Father, I pray that everyone who hears this word would choose life. Would choose you. Would choose to follow you all their days, no matter what it costs. Because our reward is so much greater than what it's going to cost us here. You've already paid for it. You say those who believe in you will inherit all things. So we trust, and we love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we look forward to that day. Lord, I pray that everybody here would have eternity stamped on the back of their eyelids. Lord, that you would have mercy on us and and keep that thought in our minds and in our hearts. This life is so short, but eternity is so long. We praise you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to do communion. Um, So go ahead and grab it, take it back um, to your seat, and we'll take it together.